0: This weekend, I had the privilege of participating in an event called Livestream for the Cure, a 30-hour live broadcast to raise money for cancer research. The event was conceived and developed by Nick, co-host of the Epic Film Guys podcast, a show you hear me mention often, and it took a village to get through those 30 hours. Nick had an amazing executive producer, Dan, from the Netflix and Swill podcast, and so many other shows broadcasting live between 6 p.m. Friday night and 6 p.m. Sunday night. The event raised over $5,200. The Cancer Research Institute matched our donation, and with their matching funds, we raised over $11,000 for cancer research. Almost every person I know has been touched in some way by cancer. A friend, family member, or co-worker has cancer or had cancer, is in remission, or is actively fighting. I have a few very dear friends who have fought and won battles with cancer repeatedly. They are goddesses. They know exactly who they are, and they continue to kick cancer in the balls. My time slot on Livestream for the Cure was 1.30 a.m. to 2.30 a.m. Yes, I signed up for an overnight slot. I thought Nick might have a tougher time filling those late windows, and what could be more fun than listening to scary stories late at night? I'm going to share those two scary stories with you today in the latest episode. Things are about to get a little spooky. You might want to pull the blanket up over your head and hide from the monsters in the closet. I'm Dina Marie, your host on this twisted journey. Welcome to Twisted Philly. There's more mischief, mayhem, and nefarious goings on in the city of brotherly love than Billy Penn could have ever imagined. We've got it all here on the Twisted Philly Podcast. True crime, haunted history, the coolest and creepiest places to visit. Welcome Welcome to to Twisted Twisted Philly. Philly. going to share two stories. One is from the heart of Philadelphia, and the other is from just outside the second largest city in Pennsylvania, which is over on the west coast of the state. It's from a little town called Beaver Falls. So we're going to take a late night road trip. If we were actually driving this road trip, it would take us about five hours. And you would need a shitload of money to get across Pennsylvania because the turnpike in our state will rob you blind. I I think it takes more money to get across the state of Pennsylvania than it does to get across the rest of the country. What's so great about Beaver Falls is it's only about a half an hour or so from Pittsburgh. It's a culturally diverse city, which some folks might not expect when they look at the more rural parts of Pennsylvania. And it's beautiful. It sits high above the Beaver River. So you get these incredible views of the rolling green hills that we have here in Pennsylvania. The dams along the Beaver River add beauty to the water because they create these lovely little waterfalls. And from what some of my friends on the western side of the state have told me, some locals have been known to go dam diving. So they'll walk out and stand on the top of the dam, which is underwater, and then dive off into the river. Floating a little on the falls. Now, I am not in any way encouraging anyone to do that because you could crack your head open on a rock or slip and fall and break your ass. But, like in any city, in any state, there are traditions that locals practice. And we like to say, well, shit, I did that when I was a kid. And apparently, dam diving is one of those traditions. There are so many lovely little small towns in Pennsylvania, but some of them are the sort of towns that you could blink and miss them as you drive past one mountain or the next. Beaver Falls, though, is considered one of the best small towns in America. When it received that esteemed ranking by websites and magazines across the country, I'm guessing the people who wrote those articles never heard of the Green Man. In the darkest recesses of forests outside of Pittsburgh, there is a man known as the Green Man. He is seen along windy, circuitous roads that cut through the mountains, and for decades— The Green Man has terrorized teenagers who visited an area called South Hills. That's a wooded area of about 2,000 acres just outside of Pittsburgh. It was infamous, especially in the 60s, from teens who wanted to park, which also means like sit and make out. Imagine a young couple is out at a drive-in, and it's 1968, so maybe they're watching Rosemary's Baby or Planet of the Apes, and the movie ends... And the young man isn't quite ready to take his date home and he asks her if she would like to take a drive, maybe park along South Hills and look at the stars. And his date is nervous, she's excited, but she knows there's going to be other people parked watching those same stars, which means making out or fucking. So she's not going to be entirely alone. They drive off into the woods, there's no light, the only moonlight is cascading down through a canopy of trees and as her date starts to lean in for a kiss. She notices a murky green haze moving through the forest. And so she asks, what's that? And she points over her shoulder and her date sits back. He turns his head and looks out the window to see a green glow getting closer. And as it nears, this haze takes on a shape. It's the shape of a man. And the greenish glow gets brighter and brighter and there's an ominous aura about the green light. And suddenly, they realize this figure has no fucking face. Stories of the Green Man are legendary in western Pennsylvania, and there are people that still talk about it today. Some residents believe he lives in an old tunnel under an abandoned railroad off a desolate stretch of road called the Piney Fork Tunnel. This was built almost 100 years ago, back in 1924. The tunnel is no longer used it's covered in graffiti inside and out. Today, it's mostly used to store salt in the winter when we need to treat snow-covered roads. So he's also spotted along Route 351, which is a rural highway in a town called Copple, which is not too far outside of Beaver Falls. It's about six miles away. Why is he green? Why does he glow in the dark? There are some folks who would have you believe the glow is the result of an industrial accident. Like, perhaps he was poisoned with radiation, and like David Banner, he transforms into a green monstrosity, except our green man doesn't change his shape, he doesn't develop superhuman strength. Other legends are he was struck by lightning and somehow retained some of the electrical current. But what is it about the green man that eradicated his face? No matter what caused this condition, he haunts back roads and woods around Beaver Falls. For decades, people have been terrified of the legend of this man. The Green Man has also been called Charlie No-Face because in most tales from people who claim to have seen him, he has no face. And there is a sadness within this legend because the Green Man was actually a real man. His name was Ray Robinson. He was born over a century ago in 1910 in a little town just outside of Beaver Falls. His childhood was like something out of Oedipus or King Henry VIII. He was only seven years old when his father passed away, and very soon thereafter his mother married his father's brother. At least there was a man around the house to help take care of Ray and his mother and the family. Just a few years later, when he was nine years old, He and some friends were out playing along a trolley bridge. Ray and his friends on this particular day, they noticed a bird's nest above the tracks. The trolley tracks were on a bridge that were probably 20 to 30 feet off the ground above Wallace Creek. And then above the trolley tracks was a trestle that was another 20 feet up in the air. All of the boys wanted to see this bird's nest, but it was so high up, nobody wanted to climb the girders above the bridge and shimmy up that trellis where the electrical lines ran to power the trolley. So they dared one of their crew to climb up, and the boy they dared was nine-year-old Ray Robinson. Ray climbs up the trellis. He gets up to the top of the girders. He was careful because he could have fallen and possibly died if he would have fallen because of the, the depth of how far he was from the ground. But unfortunately, he accidentally touched the electric line. He was electrocuted with over 20,000 volts when he was nine years old. Now, initially, doctors didn't think he would survive the accident. He had severe burns all over his body, but the worst of the damage was to his face. His eyes were destroyed, as was his nose. His mouth became one large, massive mound of flesh with a small opening. Ray had to have his left arm amputated, and most of his body was covered with scars. And so we're talking the, you know, in 1919, in the early 1900s, medical technology was nothing compared to what it is today, or even what it could have been in the 50s and 60s. Ray was severely disfigured, and there was very little opportunity for any sort of reconstructive surgery. Gradually, as he got older, the pain receded, but he struggled for most of his life, and he couldn't see. Where his eyes used to be was an enormous patch of scar tissue. His nose was gone altogether. It left a giant gaping hole in the middle of his face, and his appearance terrified his neighbors. As Ray grew older, He would take walks for exercise just to get out of the house and sort of build some semblance for a life for himself. And he and his mother had moved to the town of Koppel, which is just a little ways away from Beaver Falls. According to the story about his life, once he moved to Koppel, the residents there asked him to stop walking during the day because he scared their children. So this poor man who almost lost his life before he was 10 years old spent the rest of his life suffering from his injuries, and suffering emotionally because of the seclusion imposed upon him by society, and then suffered further indignation by the legends that grew up around him of the Green Man and Charlie No-Face. So Ray didn't stop walking, but what he did was he switched to walking at night when it was dark, because there weren't as many people out, there certainly weren't children out, and He was blind, so whether he walked during the day or after the sun went down really made no difference to him. He walked with a cane and he made sure he kept one foot on the blacktop and one foot on the shoulder of the road so he always knew where he was. And he typically liked to walk on that rural highway I mentioned. It's a place that he knew, and that's how The Haunting of Charlie No-Face was born. Someone would drive down the highway It would be very dark, there were no lights, and they would see this very strange figure without a face. The reason he was called the Green Man is because apparently Ray Robinson sometimes wore a green army jacket or a green plaid flannel shirt, and it could have been a combination of fog emanating off the road mixed with a glare from car headlights that perhaps made him appear to be surrounded by a green light. Anybody that actually stopped and talked to him They found a wonderful conversationalist, someone who was only too happy to stop and chat. He was desperate for human interaction. Sometimes he would bum a cigarette from the people that would walk by him or drive past him. He would talk about his accident. He would even take pictures with people if they asked him to. By the time he was in his 70s, he moved into a nursing home and he passed away in 1985 when he was 74 years old. But still to this day, So many years later, mostly old-timers, but there are people that still talk about seeing the green man or Charlie No-Face walking out on that road in Copple, Pennsylvania. They talk about him hiding in the old Piney Fork Tunnel under the abandoned railroads. Some nights back in the 60s, there would be so many people trying to catch a glimpse of him walking along this road, not realizing that he was a regular human being who had just suffered an incredibly difficult experience when he was a child. So many people would be driving up and down this tiny rural highway. They would cause traffic jams. And really, Charlie No-Face, the green man, was just a man who suffered a terrible accident as a very young child who desperately wanted to connect with people. So that is the truth behind The haunting. That first story was a myth and legend based on a true story, and it was such a sad tale when I researched the Green Man. I'd heard about Charlie No-Face, although I didn't realize he was the Green Man, and I had no idea about Ray Robinson. When I think of nine-year-old Ray and what he endured as a result of that tragic accident, my heart just breaks for him and his mother. I cannot imagine the loneliness he probably felt throughout most of his life, unable to connect with many people because they were so afraid of his appearance. As I mentioned when I was on the live stream, the legend of the green man lingers today. He's been reported to haunt parts of Ohio near the Pennsylvania border outside of Pittsburgh. While I told this story Friday night, okay, technically Saturday morning, I was joined by Nick from the Epic Film Guys podcast and Dan from Netflix and Swill. Dan lives out in Western PA. He's been to Beaver Falls, but he said he'd never seen the Green Man, although we now know the Green Man passed away over 30 years ago. Then we all had fun talking about our Pennsylvania accents. Mine, which can be very filly when I don't pay attention to my O's, sometimes I say no, and sometimes when I'm excited or angry, I say now, 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 which sounds like I'm saying now. And according to some, my accent isn't Philly enough because I say water ice. Dan spent some time talking about yins, which is slang out in western PA, and we just had a great time poking a little fun at each other. When I finished telling the story about the Green Man, Nick told me another podcaster donated $6.66 during my first segment. Someone donated another $6.66 during the second half, too, and you know, I was completely delighted by that. I am not a promoter of Satan. In fact, quite the opposite, which you'll hear me talk about if you listen to the latest episode of Educating Jeremy, the movie podcast I host with Jeremy Collins from Podcast We Listen To. In our latest episode, we discuss The Conjuring. But someone donating $6.66 While I tell scary stories, that is simply divine. The next story I'm about to share is much closer to home. Not only because it's in Philly, but it's a story that truly scares me to my core. It's a story I thought about sharing off and on for the last year, and I was always a little too scared to tell it. I think the only reason I was able to tell it during the live stream is because I wasn't recording alone. I had Nick and Dan with me. Are you ready for a little more twisted terror? Because here it comes. Alright, we're going to travel back to Philly, the town that many Pennsylvanians believe should be separated from the state. There is actually a coalition of people who live in Pennsylvania who would like to see Philly forcibly removed and attached to Jersey because some people have nothing better to do with their time than complain about Philly. And honestly, that's one of the reasons why I wanted to start Twisted Philly so people could learn about this amazing city, which is certainly full of some horror stories. But our heritage and our sense of community, our history and our culture, Nick, for you, our foodie scene is amazing. And I'm not just talking about cheesesteaks. There is so much more to Philly than what a lot of people realize. Our public transportation system in and just outside of Philadelphia is called SEPTA, the Southeastern Pennsylvania Transportation Authority. There is no love lost between me and SEPTA. The next story is about our public transportation system. Once I learned about this legend that I'm going to share with you and with our live stream listeners, I've never gotten on another SEPTA bus inside or outside of the city, and I won't. This is the story of Philadelphia's bus to nowhere. Now, whenever I see a SEPTA bus, especially in Philly, but even outside of the city, I am actually afraid to look at the numbers on the bus. This is an irrational fear. I know this. And yet I am afraid nonetheless. My fear, if I look at the numbers on a bus, is I will see the number zero. So when you look at a SEPTA bus, the bus number, which is different from each bus, is in the bottom corner of the windshield. And everything on our buses is digital, as I'm sure it is in many other cities in the country. At the top of the windshield, there's a bar where you'll see a route number, you'll see a destination or a route name. So many people who used SEPTA, they're just so accustomed to their stops, whether it's a train or a bus. They don't even really pay attention when their transportation arrives. It's like they've become, I don't know, you know what? They remind me of employees in the movie Joe Versus the Volcano. If people have never seen that movie, it's this really quirky, slightly ridiculous movie. I think it came out in 1990. It stars Meg Ryan and Tom Hanks. I absolutely love this movie. Very early in the movie, we meet the character of Joe, who's played by Tom Hanks. His life is gray. His clothes are gray. His commute to work, his coworkers' clothes, the factory where he works, everything about him and his surroundings are dreary and dismal. And the people move as if they're programmed. And that's what it looks like to me when people are using public transportation. It's like Joe versus the volcano. They don't look at anyone around them. They move like a colony or in a swarm that eventually bottlenecks into a single line to board. And once they're on, they hardly acknowledge one another, let alone talk to anyone else. And I am the odd fuck that smiles at strangers. I go out of my way to chat with older people on the train with young women on the train. And it's no easy feat because you struggle. People are practically sitting on top of you. Some people's music is blaring so loudly through their earbuds. You can tell exactly what they're listening to. People are coughing on you. People are sneezing on you. It is often a really unpleasant experience. But I purposely do what I can to connect with other riders because on the bus to nowhere, no one connects with one another. No one sees anything and no one remembers anything. So right now, at 2.08 in the morning, somewhere in Philadelphia, there is a SEPTA bus without a bus number. Nor does it have a route number or a destination running on that LED feed at the top of the windshield. It's been seen in the West Powelton section of the city in West Philadelphia. That's where the original move house was that was bulldozed in the 70s by Mayor Rizzo. The bus, with no number, has been spotted along infamous Passiunk Avenue in South Philadelphia, which is where the sports complexes are, where Geno's and Pat's steaks are. People see it in Center City, not far from my beloved City Hall with the statue of William Penn. Devil's Pocket is another neighborhood where the bus to nowhere has been spotted. That is a tiny little neighborhood within a neighborhood in South Philadelphia. And if you've seen the 2014 film God's Pocket, it's actually a movie about that neighborhood. Ages ago, that section of the city got its nickname Devil's Pocket when a priest told a bunch of unruly teenagers that they were so bad, they'd even steal from the devil's own pocket. I know for some people it's hard to believe in a bus to nowhere. A bus, like every other SEPTA bus, That even has the SEPTA branding on it, but has absolutely no other identifying marker on it and no destination. The locals, some of us call it the bus to nowhere. Other people call it the zero bus or bus zero. To think that it's been seen in all of these neighborhoods is somewhat unbelievable because if you actually ride the bus, you don't remember it. The only people who see this bus are those who actually get on it. Bus zero shows up when you need it. Not because you're running late or maybe you missed an earlier bus. It shows up when you are at the lowest point in your life. When you are swimming in a lake of despair and you feel like you are going to drown. The bus to nowhere, it doesn't actually stop. There's no bus station where you can catch it. So. You could find yourself walking the streets of Philadelphia completely lost in a sadness so deep and so heavy it will bury you. That's when the bus shows up. And at first, you don't even notice this bus pulling up slowly alongside you until it starts to pass you. And then it's like you're pushed, not by somebody's hands, but there is a force within you so strong it compels you to get on that bus. And the fucking bus is still moving. So you have to chase it. The Bus to Nowhere wants to make sure that you want it. It makes you work for it. Once you start running, the bus stops, but it barely stops just long enough for you to step on and then it starts moving again, and there is no sound on this bus. There is no sound from someone dropping tokens into the box at the front of the bus. There is no monetary fare. Because whatever despair put you on this bus, you've already paid such a high price. What value does spare change have at this point? The driver? Nobody knows. It could be a man. It could be a woman. You don't know because the driver doesn't look at you. You don't look at the driver. And you have no recollection of anybody driving this bus by the time you get off of it. You find an available seat. And typically, you're not alone on this bus. Because misery loves company, but you... You may as well be the only rider because there is no sense of any other souls around you. There is nothing to see through the windows. Philadelphia is is still there. The city hasn't disappeared, but it has no significance to you because you are within the realm of the bus to nowhere. You're riding within a space of nothingness. You're trapped in this moving box of desolation There is no sense of time. So riders could be on the bus for hours. They could be on the bus for days. Some passengers who ride the bus to nowhere are on it for years. And what everybody says is the bus knows how long you need to ride. It knows why you need to ride. And in some instances, the bus knows that there are souls that should never get off. If you are lucky enough to make it off, your destination is a place that you were meant to be. You haven't left the city. It's not like you're moving through dimensions or anything like that. You're still in Philadelphia. So you'll find yourself somewhere in the city, but you have absolutely no recollection of how you got there. The only thing you really remember is stepping off the bus. Some people remember pulling on the cord because a voice from inside them told them it was time to get off but you will not be able to describe anyone else who may have been on the bus with you. You won't recall where you boarded it. The only sensation you have is relief because you've just spent what probably feels like an eternity without hope and for some that sense of relief once they're off the bus is the beginning of a journey towards healing Not because this bus to nowhere provided any sense of comfort or well-being. More because as badly as you've suffered before you got on bus zero, your suffering aboard the bus was even worse. And you called it. You sent out a signal wanting to get away from whatever demons were chasing you, and that bus answered your call. And in doing so, it showed you there were darker hells than the ones you thought you were in. There are very few people that actually make it off bus zero. Some people believe that no one makes it off, but to me that can't possibly be true. There are people who claim to have lived through this bus experience and tell their stories. There are other people in the city who believe that one day this bus will simply disappear. And when that happens, the bus won't be empty. The bus to nowhere will be filled with the souls of passengers whom should never be allowed to disembark. Maybe the passengers are people who have committed atrocious crimes and, I don't know, felt remorse. Maybe such a deep, repentant remorse that they put themselves in a hell almost as bad as the one that they perpetrated on other people. I think the reason the bus to nowhere scares me so much is there are times in the last 20 years of my life, not a lot, but, but here and there, where I have been in a dark place. Some days it all felt like too much. And I actually thought about the Philadelphia legend of the bus to nowhere. And I wondered if it was really true. And then I would wonder if I walked on the right streets long enough, would the bus pull up alongside me and would it slow down enough for me to jump on? And then how long would I be stuck riding? Would it be a few days or would it be a year Now, I hadn't done anything to cause this great despair that I felt, so I never thought I would get stuck on that bus forever, but how long does it take to ride a few years on this bus to nowhere? Like, if there's no sense of time, would one year on the bus be, like, 25 outside, or would it be five minutes? But I had days where my sadness felt overwhelming and literally a desire to find out whether that legend was true was enough to scare me into not looking for it. I've told numerous horror stories on Twisted Philly over the last year and a half. I've told ghost stories, I've told legends, I've shared the story of horrible murderers like Gary Heidnick. And none of those stories scare me like the legend of the bus to nowhere. There's a part of me that believes it, that believes this bus exists. And whether that makes me crazy or superstitious, I don't know. Definitely the latter. I admit to being superstitious. Hopefully not the former. Hopefully this doesn't make me sound crazy. That's why I won't look at the bus numbers on SEPTA buses in Philadelphia. I am afraid to see a bus with no number and no destination flashing on the front of the bus. The story of The Bus to Nowhere is rooted in people's personal struggles. If you or someone you know struggles with sadness, depression, anxiety, please don't go looking for your own version of The Bus to Nowhere. Send out a different signal, a call for help if you can. There is someone who cares. Even if you don't know them or you can't see them, we care. If you find yourself in a dark place for any reason, illness, depression, anxiety, a family member's illness, Anything at all. Go to whatever podcast community where you are a member and reach out. There are people there who want to help, people who will listen, people who will talk to you or not say anything at all. Just sit quietly on the phone so you know there's someone there with you, even if you don't want to say a word. You can also contact the Crisis Text Line by texting the word CONNECT, C O N N E C T, to 741741. A crisis counselor will get your text and let you know they're available to help. You can also call the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline at 1-800-273-8255. Thank you to Emmy Sarah for the music you heard in this and almost every episode of Twisted Philly. You can download Emmy's music on iTunes by searching for Emmy, E-M-M-Y, Sarah C-E-R-R-A. As always, thank you for listening. That's it from me. Ciao for now, Twisters.